Hello and welcome again to the KimCast. This is episode 10. Yes, episode 10. It has been a joy, really, to to do this thing, to make a podcast, to write outlines and do research and contemplate and rewrite and record and re-record. So to all of you who listen, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the messages that you send me and the encouragements and and really your presence, right? Because it matters. And I'm really excited and looking forward to to what unfolds as we continue on this journey that is here called the KimCast. So today the episode is called Karate, Christ, and Power. And this is kind of the starting point and what I hope to explore more on the podcast is our understanding of power, right? We live in a world full of great empires, right? Powerful, great nations, China, Russia, the United States. Of course, in 2018, the United States released its updated national security strategy that outlined great power competition as one of the the major or the major challenge of the 21st century in terms of national security and national interests. Many of the Washington think tanks are orienting towards what is called the China challenge, right? This competition between two massive powers in our world. Of course, we, we also have billionaires with <laughs> immense concentrations of wealth, um, the ability to influence politics, government, uh, social, public opinion. So we live in this world full of what we kind of often call power. And so moving forward in the podcast, I want to explore more of this, uh, this thing called power that manifests in politics, economics, and so on, but also has another side that I believe isn't so explored. And, and that's the side that we're going to explore a bit today with karate and the story of Christ, both of which have deep personal meaning to me. Of course, being a practitioner of karate here in Okinawa, the, the birthplace of karate, and then growing up in the church, being a part of this Christian tradition, and in the last few years, really coming back to that story, revisiting uh, that tradition, and and narrative with new new eyes, a new lens, a new way of seeing, and and really being kind of amazed at what's there. So today we'll we'll just explore a bit of what power is, kind of how it is in our lives, right? Beyond just the institutions that that surround us. We'll talk about our our common conventional understanding of power. Then we'll talk about the mystical traditions and Christ in particular. And then we'll talk about karate or what we say, you know, in, in Japanese, the pronunciation is karate. And, and just some of the gifts that we see in this beautiful tradition of self-defense that is deeper than um, I could have ever imagined when I started. And then we'll close with just a glimpse at power and the future and how our understanding of power can shape and even transform the world. So... Episode 10, here we go. Karate, Christ, and power. So, usually, when we think of power, 
we often think first of political, economic, military power. And then maybe cultural, social power as well. Right? So we think of things like governments, institutions, corporations, militaries, empire, maybe mass media conglomerates, right? These big bodies that do exert significant force and influence in our world such that they can change the structure of economies, right? Alter the flow of trade, make life easier or harder for certain people in, in the population. Right, make policies, change laws, even direct the flow of opportunity and credit and education to different people or different groups in, the, in society. And so this discussion, a discussion about the balance of power in society with these big institutions is really important to a healthy world, right? We need to be able to talk about how um, how power is distributed. It's really important to the health of of a nation, of a society, and we see this over and over throughout history that when that balance becomes tilted too out of, um, right, it becomes too extreme in the dis distribution of power, right? Or the discrepancy between those who have political, economic, military power and those who do not, that we see nations often start to crumble or often try to start to, to deteriorate in their health. And so this is a really important conversation for us to be able to have. But equally important, and one that is all, probably less frequently thought of when we talk about power is the power that we, all of us, hold and use, possess and experience in our daily lives living with one another. So to illustrate this, I just want to take you through a, a brief um, exercise to, to kind of really show how this, how present this power is. All right. So as you listen to me, just notice what happens inside. Notice your response. All right. No. 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 Yes. 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 Okay. So this is just a brief exercise that the researcher, psychiatrist, Dan Siegel does often in his public speeches, right? To really show the audience how interrelated we are. To show, show the audience how quickly our nervous systems pick up on the energy of a person and how quickly that can change, right? That when you heard me say no, right, in, in a kind of abrasive, perhaps, voice, you might have felt aggression, maybe some fear, maybe negativity, right? Versus when I said yes, that maybe you felt safer or some kindness. Right? And that we are actually wired to feel the energy of another person. Right? That in our nervous systems, we already, when someone's in the room with us, we pick up immediately on their voice, the tone the words they're using, their facial expression, their body posture. We have this entire neural circuitry dedicated to picking up on what another is carrying 
to really feel another person. And because we evolved in groups, right, as mammals, as human beings, it was critical to our survival to be able to pick up very quickly and precisely on what another was feeling. And so in this way, we see that our actions, our behaviors, our words, our tone of voice, our facial expressions, all of our what we carry and how we express it has an immediate impact on those around us, neurobiologically, unconsciously, right? And so this is a form of power that all of us carry, that all of us use and experience in our daily lives, in every interaction that we have. And so in that way, all of us have a level of responsibility for the power that we hold just by being humans in relationship with one another. And if we, if we look around a bit more, we see that we, throughout our, our daily lived experience, we, we carry all kinds of different power. We, we experience and we hold and we use all kinds of different power throughout um, the course of one day. Right. If we have kids, if we're around kids, just being physically stronger, emotionally more developed, cognitively farther along, that there is a significant difference in the power that we have related to children. Or even on a macro scale, economically, when we go to the grocery store or a restaurant, that the that because we are the ones paying, there is a power that we have relative to the store employee or the waiter, right? And so we possess a certain power related to the money that we're using in that space. And so I experienced this quite viscerally last week. And as I was starting to prepare this podcast, actually, I went to a convenience store and I bought uh, a water and then I realized I needed some change. So I went back to the register and I said, hey, I, you know, I had uh, the equivalent of a hundred dollar bill and I needed smaller, smaller bills. And so I went to the employee and I said, hey, can you give me change for this? It's um, for this big bill in yen, right? And she said, oh, sorry, we can't do that. Uh, we're not allowed to do to do change. And I, I pushed back. I said, wait, I, I was a customer here. I just bought, you know, I've just bought a water. Um, I need this change. And she said, Oh, okay, well, I guess this time, just one time I can do it. Right. So she gave me the change and I left. And I noticed after that, that I felt in me such a sadness and even maybe a shame. I felt that there was something in that relationship, even this like very, right? It's not like a big deal and that we would think, right? It's just, I'm in a convenience store with the employee, but there was something in that relationship that I felt was not honored just by me using the power that I had as a customer. And in Japan, it, there's a, it's even more pronounced, right? Because the customer is like close to a god here in the service industry. So I, I just felt that, wow, the power that I chose to use to push this young employee to, to give me the change that I wanted, I thought, wow, there was there was more there than I understood. And it had a profound impact on that, the flow of energy in that relationship, right? So all of us, in some way throughout our day, in our lives, we hold power, we use power. 
And there's a responsibility that comes with that. And so how we understand power, how we hold it, how we relate to it in our relationships with others, in the structure of society, this matters. It has real implications for our relationships, for, for the health of ourselves, right? And for, you know, ultimately on a larger scale, our, our collective functioning, coherence, health. All right. So I want to just discuss briefly the kind of conventional or dominant understanding of power. Right, because for most of human history, we have understood power as something that is good to use. Right, if you're strong, if you have influence, if you have wealth, it is seen often as a good thing to use it. Even if you have knowledge, right, it's seen as a good thing to share or say what you know. And so what we saw in times like the Roman Empire was that whoever was stronger was seen as right, right? Might equals right. This is really the essence of kind of our dominant conception of power until recent history, right? And so whoever is bigger, faster, has more, wealthier, stronger, right? That person is seen as good if they use that power over others. And we kind of have glorified them throughout history and the stories we tell in the memories and memorials that we create. Yeah. And I know we talk about, right, that history is always written by the victor. Right, but that actually has been affirmed by this dominant conception of power that says that whoever has it should use it. And I would argue that today this is still remains our dominant understanding of power, right? What we see in in the movies, in the stories that are told are often narratives of of strength, of winning, of defeating an opponent, or getting revenge on someone who did us wrong, right? That so often in the stories that we see, there is this, this val uh, valorization of the journey to prove one's strength, to become strong or more strong or more powerful. And even, right, in in a lot of the action movies or war movies, right? What we see is this, this need to humiliate the opponent, this need to show just how strong we are such that the other is humiliated and made to feel shame, right? And, and so we, we see this all across our world, right? Not just in, pop culture, we see it in, in the militaries that are being built up across the world. And the way go governments and politicians speak and tell stories and frame the discussions that we have. And we see it in, in our daily lives, uh, in the ways that we or that we orient ourselves to others, right? When we enter a room, there is a kind of understanding of who has power in terms of wealth or education or social status, right? Or, or even knowledge or beauty, right? There is this distinct ordering of our life according to who holds power. And usually it's seen as a good thing to hold power and to use it. And so, just the pervasiveness of this concept of power, right? Might, being right, right? Winning, revenge, showing your strength. This comes from kind of a natural history in which we evolved in an environment of scarcity. 
right? So in a zero-sum game, you have to be stronger to take the limited resources that are available to you. And so whoever wins probably survives in that environment. And so our general cultural conception of power, which is by no means monolithic, but peaceful societies are generally in human history, the exception rather than the rule, right? That this, this concept or understanding of power is likely related to an inheritance from our ancestors, from our genetic past and the environment in which our ancestors lived, which was one of oftentimes scarcity and um, intense competition for resources. So now, humans did begin at some point developing or encountering or finding ways to live such that there was enough, right? Such that scarcity became less of a problem. And, and so that that we developed into societies where we could quite easily support an entire population and even have wealthy people, right? And so interestingly, at this, at, in a really similar time frame, we started to see the coming, the, the development of the mystical traditions and of the prophets. Right? People who would come and say to the wealthy, usually the wealthy in the Jewish tradition, hey, you can't hoard all of that. Your greed is uh, an abomination. There is enough for everyone and yet you hoard it for yourself. And so we started to see this tradition of the calling out of those who would take and try try to use their power to take and hoard and concentrate wealth for themselves right you just you look in the book of isaiah and you say you see isaiah saying woe to you who join house to house and field to field until there is no space left and you are alone in the land right and so we see and and this is not just the jewish tradition it's all over we see these different prophets, mystics coming into the world with a different consciousness that shows us a way in a world where there is enough. And often what the mystics say is that there is a divine presence which is infinite the opposite of scarcity, right? Which is infinite, cannot be divided, and is accessible by everyone. Right? So we see this in uh, across the major religions. And in we see it in Buddhism. We see this in um, many of the, the ancient mystical traditions, right? That there is this presence of the divine wanting to come and meet with us and in that space there is infinite abundance infinite blessing and as so many have experienced in in mystical experiences this this unmediated contact with the infinite the beyond the divine the source Right. And so in, in that world where the divine is infinite and present and longing even to connect with all of us. Yeah, the, those mystics come and say that there, there's no room for hoarding up wealth in a world of abundance. And that becomes a very political message as well, right? That when, when there is enough for you to build palaces and, you know, with dozens of rooms and to eat 
fresh meat every day and all of these different luxuries, right? That that in a world of that wealth, there's no room for allowing for poverty. And so this message starts to come and, and start moving, right? And these prophets, these mystics speak of a power that is greater than that of the kings, the emperors, the pharaohs, right? That all of us have access to. And so the mystics are like these, these people who come and they're like trying to democratize the divine, right? Because so often the, the former understanding was that the king is God and that's it. So he should own everything. Yeah, then the mystics come and say, wait, you can sit and connect to God right where you are. And so this changes the understanding of power in our world. It starts to kind of bring a new word forth, right? A new concept of how, how power is. And that even that there might be a power that is greater than the one held by the king, the ruler, the wealthy landlord. Now, into this line of mystics and prophets comes this guy named Jesus. And from the start, the story of Jesus mocks these dominant understandings of power. He's born in Bethlehem, which is the equivalent of coming from either the hood or who knows what whereville in the countryside of Wyoming, right? No offense to Wyoming people. But he's coming from this place where everyone just looks down on it. Right? No one sees anything good coming out of Bethlehem, is what is said in, in one, of the, one of the Gospels. And he's born in a manger. Right? There's not even a decent inn for him to stay in. So he's born out in a manger with animals. Right? This is the, steady, the stage onto which the divine decides to come. And then later in life, after he's doing his teaching, he, he goes into Jerusalem on a donkey. Right? He rides a donkey in his great appearance into the capital city. And then finally, of course, he dies on a cross as a criminal convicted uh, as an enemy of the state. So from start to finish... This story of Jesus completely defies the conventional understanding of power that was present in the Roman Empire, right? And he comes, by the way, into this empire, which is taxing the Jewish people something like 90% at the time, right? The Jewish are this persecuted minority. And they, they're taxed 90%. So you work, you have your business, you have your field, and the empire takes 90% of that because apparently, you know, Caesar needs it. So. so this is the world, right? A world in which Caesar can send legions and does send legions into neighboring regions to massacre people who are accused of uprising by the thousands. Everyone is eviscerated right and this happens quite frequently right this is an empire in which in which neighboring lands are taken over at will right in which people are are i mean it is it's a world in which those who are powerful exploit the powerless at will and Jesus comes and his, one of the first messages he has for the world is, blessed are the poor, the meek, and those who mourn. Right? Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about all of those who are under the power of this empire, who have been persecuted, who have lost 
loved ones who have had their, their lands and livelihoods taken. He comes and he says, blessed are those who don't have power. And throughout his life, his teachings, he's, he announces this world in which those people are lifted up, in which the powerless, those without wealth, are seen with veneration by the divine, that there is a kingdom, a world in which things are flipped, right? where those who have little have everything. Those who have much have a hard time, right? It's he's announcing, he's speaking into reality. He's talking about a different physics, that there is a world that exists that has enough for everyone and especially a special place for the poor and the weak and the persecuted. And... He says, right, in, in the Lord's Prayer, right, we, we think of this just as kind of a recital so often when we grow up in church or whatever. But we, he says this thing in the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us our daily bread. Now, at the time, Caesar would give away food, wine, riches to the people in the city. So Caesar was the one who was seen as giving the populace their daily bread. And so in the way that he teaches people to pray, Jesus says, no, there is a power that is greater than Caesar. And you can ask that power for your daily sustenance. So he comes and he's subverting the massive power of the ruler of the Roman Empire, right? Because at that time, this is late, later in the Roman Empire, um, Caesar would show off his power by giving, giving away stuff, giving away food and wine. And so Jesus is just mocking this this empire one thing after another and there is a there is a time right in the story where he's taken out into the desert by the devil and what do you think the devil tempts him with political power military power the power to make everyone bow before him Right? That's his temptation for 40 days in the desert. So Jesus, who comes with this mission to announce a world in which those who don't have power are lifted up, who talks about a kingdom that's coming that is greater than the power of Caesar and the Roman Empire, he comes and his temptation is to use the same kind of power that Rome and Caesar use. And when he leaves the desert, goes back into the city, and that's the time where Jesus, you know, this, the divine embodied, goes to his death and chooses not to use the power that he has, that kind of power. Right, chooses not to overthrow the empire, not to make Caesar bow before him, not to get revenge for the, the massacres, the injustices of the empire. But he chooses to break the power of Rome by surrendering to it by forgiving his captors and his executioners, even as he's put to death, by looking upon the people who betrayed him with love and keeping his heart from hatred, from revenge, from, from taking on 
the cycle of violence that has been going for so long in human history chooses to break that by not using his power. And in the end, of course, that love, that decision is too great for the power of death. Right, and so he rises again. And so this story is one of the divine choosing to come and not use its power. Right, to come into this world and bring a power, a way, a kingdom that is far greater than that of Rome. And which speaks to us of a different way of living, a different physics, a different reality, a whole different understanding of power in our world. And in the end, he rises and shows that the power is greater than that of the empire. And so it brings us this question, right? Because in the end, when we look at this story, who is stronger? Who is stronger? The emperor who puts Jesus to death, who hangs him on a cross, humiliates him in front of thousands, millions of people, who appears to break the, the body and the teachings of Jesus, right? Who, who can just, with a snap of his fingers, put him to death. Who is stronger, the emperor or Jesus, who, who keeps his integrity through one of the most humiliating experiences in human history, who maintains the purity of his heart to love those who put him to death, who forgives and asks God to forgive his executioners, his traitors, those who let this happen, right? Who is stronger? Because I think with that question we ask, we're getting towards something about what is true power? And is the power of empire truly greater than this power of love that Christ brings into the narrative of human history because it is an entirely different kind of power and it's a really i believe it's a new form of power one that breaks the the conventional power of of rome in a subtle kind of almost it's just a mind-blowing way Right, because we look back on this story and the ways it's affected human history. And there's something about this story that holds a power even today across time that makes the Roman Empire look like nothing. And so I think that question, who is stronger? The emperor who can kill with a word or Jesus who chooses not to use his power and chooses instead this absurd path of death, forgiveness, radical love, and then resurrection. So, and I believe that actually this, this story, this moment in human history of Christ actually has transformed our world in ways that we don't quite even understand, right? That actually the, the understanding today that we see in terms of human rights, right? Justice, reconciliation, the, the fundamental dignity of those who are weak or powerless, that these ethics go back to the story of Christ and the mystics who came before and after him. 
that there was a world, uh, a consciousness that was announced in that moment that brought forth a new way of understanding power and how we relate to it and how we hold it. And I believe that's dramatically, profoundly influenced the development of human ethics and morals and law and justice um, from that time over 2,000 years ago. And so this brings us to karate, this 400-plus-year-old tradition that developed as a kind of fusion between indigenous Okinawan techniques and uh, the practices imported from imperial China, and particularly the temples of China. So during that time, the, the Ryukyu Kingdom, the former name for Okinawa when it was an independent nation, and China had this active, flourishing trade, right? And so there was all this cultural exchange that happened as a result, where practitioners from here would go to China, China would come here, there would be this sharing of techniques and philosophy and um, even the katas look quite similar. And so this, this tradition was born here in Okinawa. And what is fascinating about this tradition, which I have been had the privilege of, of practicing since I've been here, is that it is eerily reminiscent of the teachings of Christ. That we see when the senseis say, they say, don't win, but never lose. Right? So hold your ground, hold your integrity, maintain your, your heart, your ground, but don't win. The goal is not to defeat another. The goal is not to show your strength or humiliate your opponent. The, the goal, the intention of karate is to hold, to defend yourself in service of something greater, in service of harmony, in service of peace, in service of, of human to human relationship. And so there, is, there are these echoes of this kind of Christ consciousness in the tradition of karate, right? That there is this way of holding power where the master can kill you in seconds. And yet these teachers that you meet are some of the gentlest, most tender-hearted people. And so there is this, this contradiction, right? That to have power and not to use it. Again, we see like the story of Jesus where there is great power, but it's withheld. And you, you meet these teachers and you know, you know they, they can kill. You know the power that they possess and yet they never use it. And this is, this is the, the wonder of this tradition that halfway across the world from the starting point of Christianity there is this tradition that holds echoes of that consciousness. And I believe because, because we are so interwoven as human beings, right? We even see in inventions or discoveries that oftentimes they, they take place in different parts of the world in similar time frames, right? So even when Darwin was writing his seminal work, we saw that others were we're thinking along the same lines with similar ideas, but maybe six months later or, or a year or two off. So there is, and, and, or with experiments that succeed in one place or ways of life that kind of evolve, come into being in different spots around the world, right? Without any kind of connection or explicit communication. It's like we are developing as one consciousness in some way and so the the impact the the power the transformation that that jesus brought into this world as a mystic as a prophet as this divine who does not use his power 
There is this, this infusion of a new form of consciousness, an expansion, a new way of holding power. And that's not limited to its influence only expressed in the church, right? Christ's impact can't be held to what the church does, right? It's way bigger than that. It can't be limited in that way. And so I believe that we see it in traditions all across the world. And like I said earlier in in the development of principles of justice, human rights, that many of these things go back to the story, the teachings, the announcement that Christ brought into the world. And so what a joy to see this consciousness, this new way of holding power manifested concretely in the tradition of karate here on this little island of Okinawa. And really we see, right, in, as I've practiced this, this martial art, it's become quite, quite apparent to me just how different this way of holding power is, right? For me growing up in America, uh, in a world where, where the dominant conception of power is to win, is to defeat the other, is to even humiliate and show your strength. Of course, America as a nation being one of the most powerful in our world today. And yet this other way, this other understanding of power, one in which power withheld is actually something greater than power expressed or used. And this leads us in new directions in our world. Because I believe that if we, if we hold power in this way, our future will be transformed. Politics will be transformed. The way we organize our economies will be radically different than the ones organized if we use power in the way that we have for so long, right? So this, this way, this new consciousness brings us in directions that up until now we we have not known. And so just to close today, that even as we look around and see a world that is still dominated by this old paradigm of power, one in which might is right, in which the strongest, the fastest, the biggest, the wealthiest, the most politically well-connected is admired in their use of power for their own accumulation. That even as we see this in in politics, in the great superpowers of the world, in America, China, Russia, with nuclear arsenals that could destroy the planet several times over. Or in business where we see this, this ongoing, endless pursuit of of greater wealth, greater position and status. That in this world, even as we see this, this dominant paradigm, that, that we might remember that there is something new that's going on. And if we look here in Okinawa, in this tradition of karate, or we look to, to the story of Jesus and the way he chose not to use his power. And we see something different, something fresh, a new way, a new way of holding and relating to power. One that does not seek endlessly for more, but actually often chooses to withhold one's own strength that chooses to restrain oneself for the purpose of harmony and peace, and even chooses to honor one's enemy, to honor one's opponent, and to resist the temptation to humiliate, to defeat, 
even if it's possible. Yeah, that this is a way of holding power that shows us to a different world, a new way, a new, a new creation, a new consciousness that, that holds so much possibility in terms of where we can go, right? And for all of us, even in our daily lives, in the moments where we have power, that we might also remember this. We might remember the great karate master. That we might remember Christ as he walks into Jerusalem on a donkey in the midst of the Roman Empire. Right? That we might remember these ways that are continually unfolding in our world that are that are continually here that they're present this new consciousness this new way that as we as we meet others as we talk to our children as we go and we we make decisions in our workplace and even as like me as we go to convenience stores and restaurants and supermarkets that we remember that the way we hold power changes everything. And that there is a new way that we can choose to embrace that I believe will lead us towards a world far better, far more peaceful, far more full of harmony than the one we've had up until now. So... There we have it. Karate, Christ, and power. Who knew we could weave those together? That was a blast. Three things that I really, really love and really love contemplating and talking about. So thanks for exploring this with me. It is a joy. And may grace and peace and a new way of holding power be with you today as you go.